RadioInfluence.com. Welcome into a new episode of the MA Report Podcast. I am Jason Ford. As always, I am joined by my co-host Daniel Galvan. The calendar has turned over to the month of June and here to talk about everything going on in the crazy world of mixed martial arts. Daniel, happy Wednesday evening, bro. How's it going, man? Man, I tell you what, it's going good. It feels like the calm before the storm, right? We had a, a week off of mixed martial arts action. Sure. Marius Pudzinowski's out here in Poland knocking dudes out. But other than that, it was a very, very calm weekend. I'm ready to get back into it, man. Get into high gear with these MMA cards uh, coming each and every week, Jason. I'm doing good. I understand you went to Universal Studios, correct? And uh, the highlight wasn't the roller coaster. It was just chillaxing. Yeah, man. Just uh, took nieces and nephew over over to uh, Universal Studios and just had a good time, man. You know, nice to nice to get away for a couple of days. And uh, but I mean, look, I'm you know I got back literally probably about three or four hours ago and uh, took a little nap and. I'm back on the grind, bro. Like I got this. I'm doing this show. Then after we get done recording this show, I've got another show to record. Then I got a, an early meeting tomorrow morning. So, man, I, I'm back on the grind as we're about to hit 12 straight weeks of USC events. Of course, Bellator is back later on this month. Uh, they made some news uh, on Tuesday of this week as uh, they had a little uh, virtual media day. And uh, my guy, Danny Sabatello, just just making all the news stories. And, uh, like, hey, like, Team Pitbull. Do not engage in trash talking with Danny Sabatello. This is not going to work out well for you guys. Yeah, if you listen to any of his interviews that he's done with you, you know that Danny Sabatello, I mean, this is kind of, this is his ballpark. This is his territory. He's the kind of guy who, he's quick-witted. Usually when you put a microphone in front of his in front of his uh, mouth, he'll say something interesting. And usually if you have a video camera, well, he's going to look interesting as well. Oh, no question. He, he absolutely, uh, you know, I mean, look, and I mean, look, if you're Leandro Higo, like I was reading some of the, the quotes that came out of it. I'm just like, bro, you know, you got to keep that fire on the feet. If that fight hits the ground, it's Danny Sabatello. But like Danny Sabatello brings up a great point in the, in the conversation. I mean, take away from the trash talk. I mean, he did trash talking around the subject anyway, but it's the fact of that the first battle for Leandro Higo is whether or not he's going to be able to make weight. And, and that has been an issue for, for Higo. And of course, Johnny Ebel and Gegard Musasi will be the main event of that card there on June the 24th. But, uh, you know, where I want to start this week is our WTF stories of the week. I've got one. You've got one as well. And I'm going to start off with my WTF story of the week. And it's going to go and like Daniel, I, I think it could be a WTF story of the week, but it could also be the come on, man. And this goes out to Benil Dariush for people who did not see Benil Dariush. So he was uh, doing the, the fighter uh, versus the rider. On MMAfighting.com, and he was asked about Charles Oliver. He said this quote, I was supposed to fight Charles, and he pulled out of the fight and fought Tony Ferguson. Now, instead of fighting actual contenders, he wants to go fight Connor. He wants to go fight Nate Diaz. This is hypocritical. Come on, Benil. You would do the same damn thing. Let's not forget, you're represented by a manager who probably tweets at Conor McGregor more than anybody else in this world does because he wants a little piece of that pie. Like, come on, bro, man. If you're like, who is going to blame Charles Oliveira if he is chasing a money fight? The end of this game, 
you know, this is a prize fighting business, Daniel. And last time I check the honor, that honor check does not cash at the bank. Bank accounts that actually have zeros on them is what cashes at the bank. Yeah. The moral of the story is this is a fight business and it's simple. These men and women in this sport have a very short amount of time. They can put cash in the bank from fighting professionally. It's a dangerous sport. And it's one in which if you can get that life changing payday, that's much more important than quote unquote respect and giving shots to the rightful contender. So anyone with that gold championship belt around your waist is going to be making the same choices that Oliveira is making. That being said, if the roles were reversed and Oliveira was a top contender, he surely would probably give a similar quote to what Darius did. Because in this business, much like most things in life, it's all about self-interest and perspective, and it's about where you are at. One WTF, though, I would give is just to the MA landscape world, right? Because isn't it a WTF moment that Conor McGregor, after his outing, after his injury, is going to come back out and fight for the championship? Like, bro, <laughs> that's like if the Boston Celtics had to pull out of the NBA Finals, and all of a sudden Adam Silver announces the NBA Finals. <laughs> Golden State Warriors taking on Western Conference rival LeBron and the Lakers. Like, that would be if the if LeBron showed up in the NBA Finals. But because money is such an important part of selling a pay-per-view, it makes sense. But WTF, Jason, really? Connor, again? Dude, Connor's going to be able to fight whoever he wants to fight. Like, I feel like you're Charles Oliveira. I mean, like, you're battling Michael Chandler, Nate Diaz. I mean, Jorge Masvidal, which, first off, why is Jorge Masvidal doing interviews about his ongoing legal case right now? I can't imagine his lawyer is okay with this. Yeah, I'm no legal expert. Sure. I saw the Amber Heard Johnny Depp verdict today. I, I, I watched a little <laughs> okay, bit no, of no, CNN no, no, no. coverage. <laughs> no, you know what the best part of that trial is? Is when the TMZ, the ex-TMZ employee testified and Amanda Heard's uh, attorney is like, well, could they say you're, you're getting your 15 minutes of fame here? He goes, well, I think we can say the same thing for, about you representing Amanda Heard. I was like, and then like you see a guy in the background go, oh, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, dude, thank God. I, I'm, I'm amazed that trial went on that long. Yeah, but it was, it, it was on like. Donkey Kong, man, it was on every day. I, I work in an office with uh, fellow co-workers, and some of my co-workers um, were just, uh, they made sure that we had CNN on, or or they had some random YouTube uh, TV that had it on yeah. the trial, and they were watching this thing on and on and on, and, you know, I don't know any details, but, like, for those that love that stuff, oh, my goodness, it was like they had a, a UFC card every single day and they were tuned in. But uh, yeah, that was a, that was a thing that I saw today, but yes, Jorge Masvidal, I, I, in a serious legal case, it's crazy to, to, to come out and comment on it. But you know, Masvidal isn't someone who I would think would take the most astute approach. This is a guy who is willing to take some risk every single time he talks. Now we know you got a WTF story and, uh, when I initially saw this headline, I was like, what? Yeah, I saw it uh, this morning. And, you know, we were kind of doing some story ideas for the podcast. And uh, I swear to God, every time we do this and I just go on to Bloody Elbow or MA Fighting or MA Junkie, 
there's always one story that's just like, Daniel, please use this on the podcast. And this was it, right? The the headline. Well, do you have a headline in front of you uh, of what the story is? I don't want to butcher it. What, what's, what's one headline? So the initial headline was, where is it? Where I wrote this out. Paul Costa allegedly assaulted nurse over vaccination card in Brazil. And the update headline, which this update headline came from MMA Junkie today, Paul Costa's legal team, allegation of striking nurse does not reflect the reality of what happened. Yes. WTF. I, I, I look at a story and we've got Paulo Costa allegedly striking a nurse. WTF. This is insane. Obviously, the nurse um, has filed a police report. The way I read this story from the nurse's perspective is that Paulo Costa went in to get a vaccine. I don't know if it was his first or second one. Had second thoughts about getting the vaccine. But the doctors or whoever was not the doctors, whoever was doing this procedure had already like got his vaccination card and said he got the vaccine. So they weren't letting him leave with the vaccination card. There was some type of struggle. And apparently he hit this nurse with an elbow. That's the nurse's perspective. The initial Polacosta perspective was that no, that there was no strike. Um, and so that's obviously the alleged part of it. But Jason, there are vaccinations across the country. This is the first time I've heard across the world, excuse me. And this one happened in Brazil. This is the first time I heard anyone going to a vaccine and, and the shot that was given was from a person, not a, not a needle. I feel like there's probably been other stories out there. We just haven't heard about them would be my guess. <laughs> uh, the press release from, uh, for Paul's team was this. They put it on his Instagram today. So the recent articles published by the media involving athlete Paul Costa referring to what happened in a shooting mall in the city uh, that, that he was in. Um, so we must present some clarification. First, tending to sensationalism, these are reckless and inconsistent. Uh, the athlete and his entire team reject any type of violence. Uh, Costa is a high perform at professional athlete full-time dedicated to training to the following the rules guidelines and disciplines according to his philosophy and human conduct the kind of allegations are completely incapable with his history and the way of life the allegations as facts narrated do not reflect the reality of what happened the fact will be carefully investigated and the appropriate legal measures for their perfect clarification will be taken the technical and legal team of paul costa also informed that they will be available for further clarifications um, I mean, look, we're also talking about a guy who got drunk the night before he's fighting for a title. Yeah. I don't know what type of discipline that is, but that to me doesn't necessarily jive with the word discipline in the dictionary. Uh, with, with Paulo, um, the troubling thing for him is because of his reputation before this incident, this is a believable story. Think of your most, mo think of your most like, Imagine if Roxanne Matafari did this. You would probably give her the benefit of the doubt. She has the cleanest track record in the history of this sport, right? But with Paulo Costa, you see this headline, you're like, well, I could certainly see this scenario. And, man, you go to the comment sections of these articles, and it's like a cesspool. It's like, wait a <laughs> second. Let's not, let, let's not get distracted by this, okay? This isn't about the vaccination and your thoughts on it. This isn't about COVID-19. This is about this dude went to get a vaccine and he struck a nurse. Like, like, like it, it's, it, this isn't there, about anything else other than don't do that. And to be frank with you, Jason, if I was running the UFC, I would cut Paulo Costa for this action. If, 
if it's proven that this is what took place, right? Because you want to give someone the benefit of the doubt and yeah. it's until proven guilty. But if one of my athletes is legitimately striking a nurse over this incident, that is a fireable offense. I don't want one of my people to do that. There has to be more of this story. I, I, it's one of these stories I feel like are we just not getting everything about it? Like there has to be something that allegedly led to this incident. Like to me, this story just screams of like, there's something we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely think that's the case. I mean, it's very similar to the, uh, the baseball incident that happened a couple days ago with the <laughs> fantasy football league between Jock <laughs> Peterson. And, and uh, for those that are unaware, apparently Tommy fan, a, a baseball player for some team, I'm not sure. Oh, uh, he's with the Reds hit now. Jock, hit, went and hit Jock Peterson. Um, before the game, three hours were slapped him. And Jock says it's over a fantasy football dispute about who's on the IR. I'm like, there's something more to this story. And and I could certainly see that, right? To get from point A to point B, there's got to be some more. But, dude, there's got to be some serious justification. Or maybe this didn't even happen from Paulo's standpoint. But, man, the way I read it now, it's just like, how do you even get here? Boy, I'm telling you, man, if you're uh, – you want Tommy Fan on your team, man, he, he's – I mean, look, if the dude's ready to go slap someone over fantasy football, what's he going to do if someone throws at his head? Yeah, dude, dude. Uh, it's funny. Like, at first I was like, what the hell is wrong with Tommy Pham? But honestly, dude, the more I, like, listen to him talk, this guy's a, a crazy character, and I kind of dig him. And it's like, damn, bro, no matter how much you won for that fantasy league, that definitely didn't make up for the three ball games you got suspended for. But yeah, I guess, yeah. So I guess supposedly the story is that that Jock Peterson was basically just icing people on his bench and was claiming people or something along those lines. But yeah, man, like I'm just saying, if I'm a pitcher, I don't think I throw a Tommy fan because he might bring the baseball bat to, to the pitcher's uh, mount. Yeah, he seriously is, is, comes across as someone that would be on a roster of the, of the Cleveland baseball team on Major League. He brings that type of energy. Yeah. He really does. Oh, no, man. That, yeah, that story is just, man, that, that's one of those crazy sports stories. Um, but by, by the way, I, I was going to talk about this during our, when we talked about some of the news, but I think this is kind of a WTF story of the week as well, Daniel. Dana White, boxing is a broken business that is an absolute nightmare to try to fix. Come on, Dana. We all know what this means, bro. You can't get fire boxers to take 20% of the revenues like it happens in, in the UFC. Yeah. Yeah, dude. We need a little graphic for our podcast, for our video portion, where we had the Dana White BS meter. And we can just see how high it goes up. This one probably isn't a 10, but it, it goes high up there because Dana White knows a lot about the boxing business. This is something he's very familiar with. It wasn't a sudden shock. It was just a matter of him not finding people to play ball with. Mm -hmm. If there's any broken business, I mean, it's probably what he wanted to do with boxing. But he just couldn't find the right partners, right? Because you look at the fighters that are draws, what type of draw boxing athlete is going to get in the UFC type of business? Uh, literally zero. It's For like, sir, would you like to take a... Yeah, would you like to take a massive pay cut? I mean, you have these people probably fighting on Rough and Rowdy that make more than that, I would imagine, but I'm not entirely sure. Don't fact check me on that. But, yeah, I think any person who's followed Dana White or Mixed Martial Arts saw that headline and immediately saw through the BS. He just yeah. couldn't find someone that was willing to take a deal that he liked. 
Yeah, I mean, look, we we all know. I mean, the one thing is that professional boxers make, you know, they make a majority of the revenue. And, you know, and, and that's, and look, we, we know that's the difference between boxing and MMA and why so many MMA fighters want to go over boxing. They, they see the money train that is there. But, uh, you know, we mentioned last week on the show is uh, this week starts a 12 straight week run of the UFC starting this Saturday night with UFC Fight Night Volkov versus Rosenstruck. And then all the way till August the 20th, UFC 278 so we have got three four excuse me four pay-per-views in this time stretch the rest of them all fight night cards so one of the things i brought to daniel i said let's talk about some of the fight night main events that interest us the most and i mean look daniel i mean when you look at some of these main events man there's some great main events out there i mean you talk about on june the 18th calvin cater and josh emmett there in Austin. Then you go down to July the 16th. You got Ortega and Rodriguez in front of fans there in Long Island. The week before that, you got RDA and Rafael Fiziev. Uh, after Ortega and Rodriguez, you got Blades and Aspinall. I mean, like, these are all great matchups. Like, if I, you sit there and say, hey, if I was going to label my number one fight, just because, man, I think this has got violence written all over it, I don't know if this is going to be your answer. I'm going to go Calvin Cater, Josh Emmett. Oh, that's a good pick. It's not my answer, but why don't you elaborate on why you picked that one? For oh, look, When you think of Calvin Cater, you think of a boxer. And when you think of Josh Emmett, even though he does come out of Team Alpha Male, you think about this guy, he's going to throw some bombs. And I just, you know, I would expect that you probably will see takedown attempts from Josh Emmett in this fight. But I think overall, this has a chance to be a very fan-friendly, stylistical fight where these just two guys stand in the middle cage and essentially not even have a kickboxing matchup. They have a boxing matchup. Yeah, dude, I agree with you. This has fight of the year written all over it. And I think the other main event that has fight of the year written all over it amongst these 12 straight weeks for the fight nights has to be Brian Ortega yeah. and Yair Rodriguez. Those two are two fighters that I can't name a, too many boring fights that they've been a part of. They are all action all the time. They're incredibly aggressive. And like Cater and Emmett, super talented. That being said, Jason... The main event I'm looking forward to the most, actually, is going to be in London. Curtis Blades and Tom Aspinall. Listen, this fight could be so damn boring, without a doubt. Don't, you know, it could be so boring. It it could certainly be a grappling contest that isn't exciting compared to Cater and Emmett and Rodriguez and Ortega. But amongst these main events, this is the one where it's really exciting from an upside standpoint. I'm very excited to see how high the ceiling is for Tom Aspinall. This is a guy who has legitimate UFC heavyweight championship aspirations. And amongst all these main events, I believe that is the most interesting question. Where does Tom Aspinall stick in the heavyweight division? And Curtis Blades could go down as one of the best fighters in that weight class to never be a heavyweight champion. So this to me is just one hell of a main event. It absolutely will not be the most exciting main event we have. It may be the most boring main event we have amongst these fight night cards, but because of me wanting to know where Tom Aspinall stacks up as a heavyweight, that's my number one main event I'm looking forward to the most. 
I would probably put that number three. Number two, I'd have Ortega and Rodriguez. I mean, what, what makes the Blades Aspinall fight so interesting to me is I think when I think of question marks I have with Tom Aspinall is if a fight gets drawn out to the third, fourth, fifth round. I mean, Curtis Blades, we know about that wrestling pedigree and how he is going to just go for takedowns, go for takedowns, go for takedowns. You know, he made a point in his last matchup that he really wanted to show his hands, and, and we have seen the dynamic that he does have in his hands, but you got to imagine, he's got to go in that matchup going, you know what, let me take this fight to the ground and use my wrestling. I, I do like that one as well. You know, you look at the, the pay-per-view side of the equation, of course, uh, UFC 275 next week there in Singapore, you got uh, Glover defending the title again there against Yuri, uh, and then you got the the Adesanya Conor fight there on July the second. Then on July thirtieth, you got the rematch between Nunez and Pena, uh, and then UFC two seventy eight. We don't have an official main event uh, for that one at this time. Um, I've only watched two episodes of the Ultimate Fighter so far. Um, I thought we might hear a little more trash talking for Juliana Pena. It's pretty pretty quiet on that front. Yeah, I have only I haven't even finished the first episode. We probably screwed up. We probably should have been caught up and spent this episode talking about the ultimate fighter, but we didn't because it's kind of boring. But yeah, I mean I saw a little headline from from Nunez saying the same thing that when she came face to face with Juliana Pena, the trash talk wasn't there. I plan on watching Ultimate Fighter, but we shall see. But in terms of these pay-per-view main events that we have announced, obviously we don't know what's going on at 278. I would I would tell you that Nunez Pena too that rematch is the fight I'm looking forward to the most. You know, obviously Adesanya and Cannonier is always great. It's a very important fight for Izzy to kind of continue to build upon his legacy. Uh, Prochaska is someone who I think is also a very exciting fighter who could possibly claim that light heavyweight championship in just two weeks. But because we saw Juliana Pena upset the woman goat. The idea of the rematch is just – it's just – it's a great story, Jason. And it, it's, to me, amongst the 12 weeks of mixed martial arts we had have ahead of us without knowing how that's going to end with 278, Nunez-Pena 2 is the most exciting fight on the books from my perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of, you know, differences do we see with, with the man Nunez. I mean, I think, you know – way you expect the fight i think it's if you're you know I, I do expect to see a better man nunez this time around but i think the question mark is whether or not she can keep the fight on the feet does she have the cardio if if the fight you know hits second third round or or so in, in terms of, of that one of course uh the other uh fight night main events sarukian and Gamrata is one I did not mention Santos and Hill uh, the the August the 13th main event we do not know as well of course uh, Volkov Rosenstruck we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show but um, you know look it's it's along with all these pay-per-view fight night Dana White contender series is right around the corner as well so you have that uh, in your life you, know, you got Bellator PFL they've, they've just uh, announced a string of fights and uh, the matchup that uh, I thought that maybe they'd try to wait till the playoffs but of course she lost in the opening round Kayla Harrison Julia Budd's gonna headline the July 1st show yeah it's a pretty good fight for sure and it's one I'm looking forward to uh, I think that's going to be a strong main event and it's going to be really telling what those TV numbers are. But I think PFL is going to have to do their best job of selling this fight because it represents a great opportunity to get some eyeballs. And if they can get eyeballs on the product on that very first event when they come back for, for, for this second batch of fights, maybe they can continue the momentum going forward. 
Yeah, another uh, fight that was uh, recently booked. Of course, it was initially supposed to take place a little bit earlier, uh, but it's going to be now in UFC Paris on September the 3rd. Robert Whitaker and Marvin Vittori. And, of course, uh, you know, obviously both those guys, uh, you know, top contenders there at 185 pounds. Also, by the way, Paul Costa, Luke Rockhold was recently rescheduled as well. Uh, Luke Rockhold back at AKA. I noticed that the other day on, on some uh, videos I saw over there on Instagram. But uh, we'll talk about some uh, some news articles that we have seen over in the MMA landscape over the past couple of days. And uh, our guy, Dyson Figueredo. Does he does he not pay attention to how the UFC works? Yeah, yeah, he he must not because it wasn't surprising when it was announced that uh, there will be another interim championship fight. Well, up to him, he was surprised, and his quote to MMA Junkie was this: "I was upset because I didn't expect that from the UFC. A few months ago, I had the last fight, and the UFC already has an interim belt. I'm in disbelief." I'm very disappointed. I confess. I'm serious thinking about leaving the division. Hey, Diveson, that's all I got to say, bro. Did you not see them do this to the heavyweight champion of the world? Mm-hmm. What, yeah, what, are look, you, what, what are you surprised by? Yeah. In the UFC, if you get a minor cold and you're off for two months, they'll probably crown an interim champion because they have this fascination of making sure there's belts on belts on belts. And I'm on Figueroa's side in that, I hate interim championship f- belts. To me, there has to be a real justified reason for it. I'm starting to feel that way about immediate rematches after championship fights. I'm with Figueredo's side, but obviously it's not surprising that the interim belt's there. But, you know, if I give it some advice to Davis, and it's don't worry about it, man. No one cares, and no one really recognizes the interim championship. No, I mean, look, at the end of the day, we all know this. The UFC show must go on. If they need to do an interim belt, they're going to go ahead and do an interim belt. Uh, mentioned about fight bookings. Of course, it was initially originally announced that Patty Pemblitz's next fight will be against Jordan Levitt. And uh, Jordan Levitt had this quote uh, in an interview with the Schmo. Honestly, I was a bit offended because he's kind of picking these the, the fights that are easy. I'm like, I must have looked really bad in my last fight to get this fight. So very flattered, kind of offended, but also excited. That's a funny quote. That's a funny quote. It's so true, bro. But I, I can't blame the UFC for looking, looking at it that way. You want to get Patty as many wins as possible. You don't want to rush him, but it's funny to get that perspective from the guy who actually gets the, the fight booking. But yeah, I mean... You know, Patty Pimple's the type of guy where you're going to see his headline, his name in like four headlines every single week, whether or not he's in a fight or not. Oh, oh, so like this headline, TJ Dillashaw, Patty Pimlet just loving diabetes, won't ever be UFC champ with his work ethic. Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, I man, TJ Dillashaw really was on one this week, wasn't he? I mean, yeah. he was going off on everyone. To the the Cody Garbrandt line talking about Cody basically just saying Cody's chin is also I think he called him um, uh, non intelligent I guess would be the the nice way of saying it. Uh huh. Yeah. But yeah, Dillashaw just <laughs> so he was on the Shab show. This is what he said about Patty Pimblet. He's just loving diabetes. That's like a recipe for destroying your body. I guess there's one thing when you look at they can promote him the right way and do all this good stuff. And he's got some stuff to grow, get into higher echelons of the UFC. But if you keep that same worth ethic that he has now, he'll never be a champion. You can't go down downtime like that. You can't get that fat. You can't get out of shape. It proves the dedication to what you need to do. 
I'm not trying to pound on him or anything. Weird way of showing it. But that's something I think he's going to have to figure out with age. He's young. It's a full-time job. This isn't just when you be a fighter. You have to be a fighter. And let me just say this. I don't think TJ Dillashaw is wrong in his overall assessment of basically saying, like, bro, you can't balloon. Like, there was reports out there. I want to say, like, they're talking, you balloon up to, like, 200 pounds. Bro, you fight 150 at, at 155 pounds. Like, you know, I, I think from that aspect, I don't think TJ Dillashaw is wrong. And I think if you're Patty Pimblett, you can't be every part of your beginning of your training camp not can't be about losing weight. Yeah, yeah, it's a recipe for disaster. It absolutely is. You know, you don't want to follow TJ Dillashaw's dietary advice to a T. You'll end up suspended for two years. But he he certainly is is right in that. That's not how a professional athlete trains, right? It's one thing to go on a binge, but man, Patty Pimblett, bro, he looks like a completely different person one week after his fight. And uh, it's harsh advice, but, you know, I think that may be something that's going to unfortunately be a story if Patty doesn't have successes. There are a lot of obvious things he was doing wrong as a professional athlete that may be shorted his potential and yeah to, to get that big when you're not in a fight camp and just it's just like you're wasting time getting your body back in shape rather than getting an in-shape body to an even better position so for patty pimblett if if the bloom ever falls off the rose it's going to be pretty easy to put together how that happened and patty's response on twitter to tj was is this fellow messing at TJ Dillashaw used to sell t-shirts with his fat face on it saying fat Tyler. And when he came out of the camp, don't forget your own past. You sausage cheating. Little Jew said would never want a belt without them steroids. You effing mushroom. A lot of emojis in this tweet as well. Yeah. Patty Pimlin is a, is a man of the millennials. So sometimes some of these emojis, bro, I'm a little old. I, I have to kind of Google, see what they truly mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know what? I'm not even old, but I agree with you. Like, I'm I'm a laughing emoji uh, type of guy. Maybe oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, emoji. yeah. I'm the same like, way. I'm the same way. Yeah. But, yeah, once we get past that first uh, tab of emojis, I'm completely lost. That's a, a language that I don't know. All right. I think that's, that's meant for TikTok. <laughs> yeah. Th- there's only so much you can take there. Uh, by the way, also, uh, you know, you talk about great stories that are out there that are written in this sport. Got to give uh, some roses to Sean Alshadi. That piece that he wrote on coaches who hold pads. And damn, some of the lines in these, this story was tremendous. The line from Eric Nixick. I got to pull the line up here uh, that I had sent you. But it was basically like, I hope I don't effing die from missing a Francis Ngannou shot. Yes, dude, dude. Amazing story. I'm glad you shared it with okay. me. All right. You know, I, she- I, I just found it. Francis has hit me through my pad. I'll catch his cross with my own hand. It will hit me in the mouth or crack me in the face to the point where I've been rocked by my own hand. Unbelievable. I love it. Uh, dude, shout out shoddy. Hats off, right? Like, He's one of the best MA journalists we have. He tells great stories. He gets some great info. And yes, right, all these massive, hard-hitting heavyweights that get to the cage. Well, to get there, they spend lots of time in the gym. And in that gym, 
there's an individual holding a pad that definitely maybe regrets the career choice they made when they're on the receiving end of a strike from a heavyweight. Yeah, this is Eric Nixick. You hold for Francis, and a lot of that is like, just don't get killed. You hope to God he doesn't miss. Yeah, <laughs> it, it probably hurts enough when he does, doesn't miss, but when he does miss, I mean, you're talking about just a world of pain, a world of hurt. I mean, I just think back to that one video of a, uh, Alistair Overeem kicking that little child into next year, that old school video. But yeah, I mean, these, uh, I can't even imagine, right? Like it was literally a jackass stunt to get punched in the nuts by Francis Ngannou. You know, that's how hard these guys hit. Yeah. Brian Gibson had this line. He talked about holding pads for Alistair Overeem when Overeem was at Jackson Wink. He goes, the biggest injury I had was getting off rhythm with Alistair Overeem, and I took a left knee to my sternum. While I was laying there on the floor, looking at the gym lights, I was worried I tore my aorta. Like, oh, F, <laughs> am I bleeding out of my chest right now? <laughs> so to my understanding, he was literally still holding the pad, I believe. I could be wrong. But yeah, to, to, to feel like he may have internal bleeding. Oh, man, these guys are saints because, I mean, these guys that are holding pads, it's not like they're also 240, 230. No, man, they're normal-sized dudes holding pads. And, yeah, it's uh, I would definitely delegate that responsibility to the uh, to the underlings in my gym, the the, the coaches in waiting. I, if I was Brandon Gibson, I don't know how often I would hold pads for Uberim or, or Nick Sick. I don't know how often I would hold pads for Francis Ngannou, but I feel like you got to take some pre-workout to get mentally ready for that. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, part of that article was it had this picture from uh, Brand's Instagram and where he's holding pads, and it looks like they're in the UFC octagon. And he's holding, and John Jones is throwing an elbow where basically the he, Jones is aiming the elbow for the pad, but literally the elbow is probably two inches from Brand's nose. Oh, my gosh. That's horrifying. Or just think of, like, all the times in training – when you get that nasty, uh, that nasty leg kick to the nuts from Edson Barboza, you know, oh. that's got to happen quite often. Oh, no, you just got to call a timeout. Yeah. You got to no, call a timeout. Cause, cause yeah. Yeah. Uh, another, time. another, uh, headline. This comes from Nolan King over MMA junkie. ABC president responds to Dominic Cruz and other judging critic. These people we use are highly qualified. So for people who did not hear Dominic Cruz last week on the MMA hour, he said, the commission set up a meeting for us announcers on the scoring system. Well, who's setting up the meeting for the commissioner on what a takedown is? Who has set up a meeting for the commissioner on choosing what a takedown is? That that know what it feels like to get hit with a calf kick compared to a high kick. I've had to, I've had to feel that feeling to know you have to be there three to five of those kicks before the muscle and nerve pretty much shuts down. How many judges know that? Know that feeling. Know that you after you get taken down five times by Habib on number seven, even though he didn't do any damage, it took seven takedowns to get the dude down. How tired is that guy? They've never been in that position. They don't know how miserable that is. I understand those comments from Dominic Cruz. I get it. But I also, I think it's, and, and Mike Mazzulli did go on the offensive talking about the fact of, Look, these guys are involved in the gym business. They're involved in in the training business, and, and offers up multiple examples of this. And and one of the things that 
has been said to me over the past, I would say, two or three weeks is the fact of if you think these these people who judge and referee fights don't care about performance, you're an idiot. They all care about themselves. I, I remember back after Bellator 120, and I want to say it was after the Brooks Chandler fight. I had, I had um, Rob Hines on, on the show. And, I mean, look, we all know it's a rarity that a judge will talk to the media. It's an absolute rarity because at the end of the day, these commissioners don't want the referees talking. And it was interesting to me, one of the biggest things I took away from it was the fact of he had a different scorecard than Todd Anderson. And after the fight is over, he goes up to Todd Anderson and goes, what did you see, man? And, and basically, you know, sitting there and saying, okay, this is what I saw. What did you see? And, and maybe a little bit of a comparison contrast. But that's the one thing is is talking with people on the regulatory side is about how much these judges, they care about it. And, you know, and look, no one is perfect in it. But I also say is I do believe that I think fighters and coaches probably need to have more conversations with commissioners and, and judges and referees to truly understand what they're looking for. And it shouldn't be a conversation an hour before your fight. It should be like on a Tuesday afternoon and you, and you sit there and have a conversation. And, you know, Mike Mazzulli has made it very well known. Any coach, any fighter, any media member is more than welcome to come to the ABC meeting and that we can sit in on the judging course for free, no charge. Yeah, yeah. But this is a deal where I think Dom Cruz is just talking without doing the proper research, mm-hmm. without doing the proper homework, which is something he's criticized Daniel Cormier for doing. But this is him, I think, relying on stereotypes or ideas that aren't based in fact when the facts of the matter are a lot of these individuals that are doing the judging, that are running the commissions, quite a few of them have legitimate mixed martial arts experience. And for those that don't, I don't think it's that difficult to truly understand the effectiveness of leg kicks and what a takedown is. This isn't a silly rocket science. You know, and I want to say it was Don McCruz in that interview also mentioned about why are more fighters, not judges. And the fact is, is like, there's not a lot of money in this sport, especially like, like you look at Frank Trigg as a perfect example. He had to work countless amateur shows before he was even put into a pro event. And, and that's the thing that I think that everyone's like, we need more, more fighters as judges, but are fighters willing to put in? Are, are they willing to go to some amateur show in Galveston, Texas, or in Tampa, Florida, or, or wherever throughout the United States and work probably 100, 200 fights before you even see them on a UFC, a Bellator, or a PFL show? Yeah, I think the answer is no. It's difficult to be a judge. It requires a lot of time, and, and I think the opportunity is there for fighters to be judges. It absolutely is, but... To get to that point, it's it's not the greatest task in the world, right? These aren't the most highest paid people in the sport. Uh, you would think they do it for the love of it. And yes, I think fighters being judges, you have to get the proper training. and You have to do the proper homework. And for a lot of people, that's just going to be a deal breaker. Yeah, I, I was listening to McCarthy's podcast. It was one of the more recent episodes within probably the last three weeks or so. And one of the things that really stuck out to me is something he said was he talked about the fact of as a referee, he would he would scout 
who he was going to be working with and, and understanding what they're about and, and kind of understanding the fighters. But I mean, look, it's, you know, judges are never going to be a hundred percent correct in, in the way we view fight. But I just know this. I think that there are times, not all times, there are times where if you're sitting in that seat at the edge of the cage, your view of things is going to be much different than the view of me or you sitting in front of our television or laptop, whatever it may be. And, and also I would say is like, like I have mass respect for the judges who do it. Yes. I'm going to criticize them when I think they got the score wrong, but I don't want to be in that seat. Hell no. Yeah. I, I, they're underpaid, but the problem is, is where magically is the money going to come from to where, you know, more people are going to want to become judges. It's not going to come from anywhere, right? Uh, when we talk about money magically coming somewhere, you know, MMA judges are low on the list of priorities in the landscape of mixed martial arts. But you're right in that while we both have serious respect for judges and we do think maybe there's a disconnect between what's actually happening in the scorecards versus what people are aware of how things are being scored, we aren't going to be afraid to criticize scorecards because there are still plenty of bad scorecards out there that do not make sense. And that's something we will still call out. But in order to get respect for your statements about criticizing judges, you have to be accurate with them. And Dom just wasn't accurate. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the other part of it is is we all know the names every week that's refereeing a UFC card. It's the same names over and over again, and which I think is just really a sign that we're just, you know, there's just not people wanting to come in and do this. I mean, it, it's a very difficult job, um, you know, and it does seem that from the, the UFC production side, based on some of the things that Daniel Cormier said, is that the, the UFC production team wants their announcers to become more familiar with how things actually are scored. And we'll see if, if that changes or not. I mean, I mean, like, look, like, hey, true or false, we're going to bad scorecard on Saturday at UFC Vegas 56? I would say, sure, there's enough fights for it to happen. <laughs> Bro, I when I was putting the card together, I was like, holy cow, man, we got a ton of fights. Like, I mean, we'll, we'll see by the time we get to Saturday if, if any of these fights fall out here. But, um, you know, somewhat interesting main event of Alexander Volkov and Jairzinho Rosenstruck. Like, if you sit there and say to me that this fight's going 25 minutes, I, I think it is Alexander Volkov's fight to lose. Yeah. I certainly think so, but I do think my pick here is going to be Rosenstruck because I think he's going to be able to finish Volkov with a significant blow in those first two rounds. But I do agree with you. you That's kind of Volkov's game. He's a very technically sound point fighter as a heavyweight. He can score points with, with the stand-up, with the distance, as well as scoring points with inside the clinch against the cage. Yeah. Uh, also, yeah. I want to mention about Volkov, some of the changes that he's made. And I was reading this from his, uh, there was a profile piece done on him on UFC.com um, where he said, he goes, quote, for this fight, I changed the place of my camp. He, he goes, for this fight, I prepared in the middle of mountains in Russia. It's the Olympic base for preparing for all sports. I wanted to change something to change the place of training because usually I train in Moscow. 
Of course, he finished up his camp here in the United States in L.A. He goes, I used my old partners and everything. I had to change something, so I went to this place and trained. Now I'm here with some new camp here, and I think I will try to show something new, especially some striking skills, but we will see. I mean, look, obviously, uh, you know, Rosenstruck is going to have the power advantage in this one. I think there's no doubt about it. Uh, but, you know, I think that this is a fight that, I would be fairly surprised if it hits the mat. Like, if you tell me this fight hits the mat, to me, that means someone just got knocked down. Yeah, knocked down, or maybe things aren't going right for one of the two guys. I uh, I think this is a, a pooper get off the pot moment for both these fighters. They really need to get a big win here. Both of them have been longtime mainstays of the top 10 of the UFC heavyweight division. They both are trying to regain some type of momentum, and a loss would be pretty devastating for their hopes of one day fighting for the championship in the future. So you got to think that Rosenstruck has also been doing some massive changes, but it's a very important fight for the heavyweight division. It's an opportunity for one of these guys to kind of right where they have gone, and we've seen the enormous potential. For Rosenstruck, it's a power. It, it's just how he can literally end a fight in a moment's instance. With the Volkov, he has a very unique frame in this sport. Can he utilize that to get to the promised land? I'm not sure. I'm going throw the struck, but it's a close fight. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of if you tell me someone's going to win by stoppage, I definitely like Rosenstruck in that position. Have you seen this crazy story out there about Askar Mazarov who's taking on Alonzo Menafield? No, what's the story? So uh, I see this tweet from uh, one of the guys who runs Tapology, who noted that uh, his uh, record has been corrected because there were some inaccuracies on his record. I want to say is uh, initially his record only had seven losses. Uh, it's been corrected down. He has 11 losses. How did that happen? False reporting. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's uh, that, that fight probably doesn't go out, out of the first round. Um, you know, you look at uh, notable names that you would find on this card. Dan Ige is a three to one betting favorite uh, against Eva Love. No, he's a dog. He's a dog. Yeah, dog. Excuse me. Yeah, dog. Yeah, yeah. three to one underdog uh, against Eva Love. Uh, yeah, you, know, uh, you know, it's one of those things. Like I was, uh, I was doing an interview with L Wagman, who, who's coming off a win, and she's now doing a betting podcast, and, and we were kind of talking about the fact of. You know, there's some fights that you look at from a betting odds perspective that you're like, man, that fight's a little closer. But I, I do think, you know, Evelyn should be the favorite. I don't know if he should be a four to one favorite uh, in this one. You got uh, a rematch that I don't know if anybody asked for. Felice Herrig, Herrig and Carolina Kovacavich. Uh, Felice Herrig coming off a major knee injury. And of course, uh, Kovacavich and, you know, how she's gone here. This is two fires at a crossroad. Uh, I was actually kind of surprised because of their name value that they weren't on the main card. A little. A little surprise uh, there. Uh, Damon Jackson's got a new opponent, uh, Dan Argoletta. Uh, Joe Selecki, uh, you know, a nice one. Aaron Blanchfield may be the fighter that intrigues me the most on the prelims. Yeah, she's incredibly talented. She really is. And you know, J.J. Aldridge's a good little opponent. But in terms of upside and career trajectory, she's got one of the biggest ones on this card. Yeah, yeah no and question. It's kind of crazy. She's, she's someone who I'd probably put on the main card. Uh, I really would because I think she's a name that's going to be coming up and up and up again, and it's, it's a weight class where I think she'll have a lot of success. So I agree with you. I, I think for sure her and Evlov, Evlov are the two I'm looking forward to the most. I mean, for Evlov, you know, there it's appetizing to take a bet on Danny Gay because it's a massive jump up from Evlov's most impressive win 
to the talent level of Danny Higgins. Anytime you make that massive jump but still maintain massive odds as a favorite, I kind of want to pick the dog in that fight. But I think also uh, also Triziano against Lucas Almeida. I think Michael Triziano is a pretty talented fighter, and, and he's definitely worth the watch. But again, this is a fight card where I'm not super excited about, but it's one that you know we'll watch and we'll we'll. we'll We'll break it down what the highlights were, what the must-watches were, and whatnot. But it's a lot of fighters that are just trying to break in and, and make you know a name for themselves in these weight classes. It's not the sexiest fight card to come back on. That's oh, a yeah. must-watch for an MMA fan. It is a an early afternoon card. Uh, prelims is going to start 1 p.m. Eastern time there on ESPN Plus. So uh, early on there. Uh, a little note on Johnny Munoz and Tony Gravely. They were actually supposed to fight a couple of years ago at King of the Cage. Fight ultimately did not happen. Um, you know, but uh, like you said, man, it's on paper. It's it's not the the sexy car, but sometimes these are the cards that come out and absolutely deliver for for the UFC. There, uh, you know, Volkov and Rosenstruck. Like they're two heavyweights. I just and maybe I'm wrong here. I just look at both these guys like, and I feel like they've got a ceiling and it's just not that ceiling is not UFC champion ceiling. Yeah. I think when you, uh, when you look at Nganu, it's just hard to think they'll get to that level, right? Even, you know, Sirogan and Stipe, I, I just, I definitely don't think so. Even Aspen on Curtis blades. I don't think those are heavyweights that they will ever kind of be able to get past. By the way, I got to ask you, Paige Van Zant made her uh, official uh, AEW debut. Do we, do we got any uh, any thoughts on how she performed? And eh, she didn't do that good, to be honest with you. She looked like a like someone that was playing wrestling, but she had a couple cool moves. She had one move where I thought she was about to kill the girl, but she didn't completely embarrass herself. I'll give her props. It's incredibly challenging to make your professional debut in that type of setting, and she didn't crap to bed. Yeah, I just, you know, because I saw some of the highlights on Instagram and my, my first thought was like, man, she, it wasn't long ago that she started like truly um, training for professional wrestling. And in some of the moves I saw, I was like, wow, she's, you know, in a short amount of time. I mean, obviously, you, you know, they probably worked on that, that whole match, probably countless hours. Uh, but I was like, you know, you see the athleticism and, you know, it just, and AEW, obviously a lot of MMA fighters have kind of crossed over into there and just, you know. It's always one of those things I wonder is like, you always hear MMA fighters talk about it, but it's like, are you ready for that grind? Yeah, it's 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 not fun. If you actually want to be a professional wrestler, it's consistent. You're on the road all the time. I mean, unless you're Ronda Rousey, uh, it's difficult. But you know, for for for, and I, I see Valerie Lareda has been training too with the WWE at the Performance Center. Yeah, she uh, she did the, I want to say it was a tryout during WrestleMania weekend. And then, um, then there was a picture, well, it was Instagram, probably, I don't know, two, three weeks ago that uh, she was at Performance Center. I believe she's, maybe she, I thought she was booked for a Bellator fight, or maybe they were trying to book her for a fight. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, look, I, I think the WWE looks at, you know, is probably looking at her social media interactions and impressions, and they probably look at that and say, how can we capitalize on that? And I can't blame them. For yeah, that. I think I can't, I can't. And it works out well because she can win without having to, you know, be a better fighter. So I, I, I definitely think that works out for them. But yeah, if you're Bellator, you're like, please stay with us because again, she's a valuable athlete to have on your roster, but you know, it does seem like she's been training quite a bit. I, I feel like a lot of times on her Instagram story, she's out there training. I, I feel like with her, it's just for Bellator. They understand that it, it, 
it's a long road with her. When you, when you look at, you know, when we've seen her inside the Bellator cage, you can look at it and you say, I mean, there there's obviously strengths that she has, but there are some holes in her game. And, and I think we've seen fighters take advantage of those in, in her fights. I mean, she's just, she's a developing fighter. It's like I was talking to somebody the other week and, and we were talking about the Bellator rankings. And I said, you know, and as a, a voter, I said, probably one of the hardest things about the Bellator rankings is these divisions that are not deep. I have a, and she's not in my top 10, but I, I can't, I don't understand why she is ranked in the top 10 based on who she's fighting. Like, I don't understand why Cody Law is ranked at 145 pounds based on who he's fighting. Is he a super talented fighter and, and the ceiling is super high for him? No question. But I'm like, based on who he's competing against right now, I can't put him in the top 10. Yeah, especially at a weight class like that one where there are legitimate guys you can put ahead of them. Yeah, you know, some um, of these other weight classes do get pretty thin quickly, but lightweight—that's that's a that's a weight class where it's a prove-it weight class. There are fighters that are unranked that have more of a resume. They deserve to be in that spot over Cody Law. I did have someone ask me if I thought uh, Johnny Evelyn could beat Gegard Mousasi. What'd you, what would you? How'd you answer that? If, if he can, I, he he's got to wrestle off his way. I think. I, I don't yeah. think he can. It, I would not imagine that he would win a striking matchup. I don't think so at all. I mean, Gegard has just, uh, and he's got a legendary career, man. He's just gotten better with age. I mean, you think yeah. about this. Like, I just pulled up Gegard's uh, topology. He made his pro debut in 2003 at Too Hot mm-hmm. to Handle. Let's see if it Oh, my God. What a throwback. I mean, you know, I mean, but Johnny Edwin's, you know, I think this is, I mean, look, I think Bellator is in this dilemma of, you know, the lack of depth at 85, I think is hurting them. But I mean, Johnny Edwin has done everything he can to, to get there, uh, to get into his title matchup here at Bellator 282. Of course, that's also going to have uh, the continuation of the Bantamweight Grand Prix. Uh, you got uh, Magomed. And Barzoa. Also, Brent Ward is back on that card. Uh, an interesting, uh, Anatoly Talkov is also on the card. I have a feeling he might have been placed on that card just in case Johnny Eblin doesn't make it the fight night kind of as a backup plan that they have an additional uh, 85 or all in the card. By the way, Cody Law is also on that card as well. And Lucas Brennan is a name to keep an eye on, a, a highly uh, talented uh, prospect. Also, uh, Aaron Jeffries going to be making his Bellator debut. He, of course, he's been on the Contender Series CFFC champion as well. So that's a solid little card. I dig it. I'm excited for it. Uh, by the way, uh, Tapology right now, we've got 15 fights at Bellator 282. <laughs> you gotta can, sell can, some tickets. Can you tell they're in front of a live audience? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you tell? That's your that's your tell. You can tell if it's in front of a live audience. You can tell if a UFC card's on Apex. All you got to do is look at the card. Oh, yeah, man. Like, for Bellator, it's, it's how many fights they have. And for UFC, it's how many people have Wikipedia articles. Like you think, like I heard someone mention this a couple weeks ago and they said, you know, when we were at UFC Vegas one, did you think we'd be at UFC Vegas 56 in the middle of 2022? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't, yeah, I, 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 don't. I don't, I just don't think the UFC goes away from it. No, Mm-mm. I just think kind of like how we started the beginning of the show. It's all about the bottom line and they found a, a model that works well for them. It's an easily produced show with a low cost, and it's a it, it's a game where they've sold a lot of content, and it allows them to fill that content obligation to ESPN. It, it's it's something that I don't think will ever go away. The only thing that 
I don't love about the Apex shows is there are times where there's some fights inside the Apex. You're like, God, man, if that was in front of an audience, like that environment would just be so different. Like there's just, there's these fights that are in the Apex and, you know, you've got what, 50, you know, maybe maybe 50 fans in attendance. Yeah, yeah. The, those fight of the year type fights deserve that audience because nothing beats the crowd noise. And uh, I certainly agree with you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I, I need some of the, you know, we know the crowd sayings that will happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you miss that stuff. Yeah. You do, man. You do. You you miss the crowd, and you know, after the pandemic, it it, it really valued. It showed me how much I missed the crowd and how valuable the crowd is and how amazing they are. And I'll never take them for granted. And I hope the UFC doesn't either. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, you, I mean, you look at the Austin show, how much they've stacked the deck there. They're going to Long Island in July, the Ortega and Rodriguez fight. I mean, you, you see where, you know, they're, they're stacking the deck and, uh, you know, I, I hope, I hope we see more UFC cards in front of fans, but I also understand from a business aspect that, it just makes a ton of sense for the UFC. And and look, I, I get why they do it. I, I totally get uh, why they do it here. But uh, it is, uh, we're at the start of June here. Uh, NBA final start tomorrow night. Looking forward to that. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm, 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 selfishly, I was glad the Celtics won the Easter Conference because I was not looking forward to Heat Warriors. No, no. that uh, why Why not? Because you hate the Heat? Oh, I didn't think that that series would be very. I first off, I thought oh, it'd be over yeah, four, I thought it'd be over in four games. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, it, just Steph Curry. as as a basketball fan, I was more. Yeah. I I just like I think Celtics Warriors goes six or seven games. Yeah, yeah, and I think I've seen picks from both teams all over the place. It, it's it's a great matchup. I mean, I, I to me the Warriors are the favorites. I mean, yeah, me, I don't know. I like the Celtics. To me, you know, it's a fascinating series. I'm looking forward to that. Of course, uh, you know, be watching uh, Lightning uh, and the Rangers actually recording this game. One is actually going on. I kind of peeked over. I see uh, Lightning already down a goal. So hopefully uh, things can turn around there. But uh, I'll be watching some UFC this weekend. Love the love an afternoon card. <laughs> Absolutely love an afternoon card. Huge fan of that one. Uh but, uh, of course, that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of the MMA Report Podcast. Of course, you can check out the show, listen to the show on your favorite podcasting platform. Also available on video on YouTube. Of course, uh, be sure, rate, review, subscribe, hit that notification bell. All, all those things that do help us out a ton. So that's going to do it for this edition of the MMA Report Podcast, which comes out every Wednesday on your favorite podcasting platform and on the MMA Report YouTube channel. 